Okay, if you want to stand, a lot of times we do that in this service while we read our scripture for the Sunday, you can do that. And I'm going to read it a couple times, Proverbs 11.30. It says this, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. Your Bible, if you've got the King James or the New American Standard, it may say whoever wins souls is wise, okay? ESV says whoever captures souls is wise. Let me read it again. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. Father, we ask for help today. God, we want to be soul winners. God, we want to be people who, who lead others to life, who lead others to share in the riches and the blessing and the abundance of life that are in Christ Jesus. Father, we want to lead our children to that. We want to leave our, lead our parents to that. God, we want to lead our, our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors and our coworkers. God, we want to lead people on the other side of the world to know the great riches that are in Christ and to have them for themselves. And so, Father, please give us wisdom, give us skill in this. God, teach us this morning as we look at your word and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. All right, so we've been going through the book of Proverbs, and uh, Proverbs is all about wisdom, wisdom in the various uh, kind of complicated situations of life, and so we've looked, what, what have we looked at this summer? We've looked at money, sex, marriage, words, pride, anger, relationships, debt, diligence, family, friendship, children, discipline, poverty, riches, conflict. We looked at all of those things, and we've looked at it from the aspect of wisdom, right? Wisdom is skill. Skill in navigating those situations. Uh, in fact, our, our, our definition of wisdom that we've been kind of operating on is wisdom is knowing and loving the heart of God and the truth of God so that in the complicated and manifold situations of life, we act in ways that please God and bless others. Okay, so it's knowing the heart of God about, let's say, marriage. Okay, what's the heart of God about marriage? Uh, and then how do I use wisdom? How does wisdom helps me Take what, what God says about marriage and apply it to a complicated marriage. Anybody else have a complicated marriage? I've got one. All right, so marriage is complicated, right? Uh, and so, so wisdom is taking the heart of God, the truth of God, and then knowing how to apply it to the complicated situations of life. Well, today we have a new topic, okay? And man, I, I love it. It's Proverbs 11.30, and it is about winning souls, okay? Capturing souls. Again, if you've got the King James and the New American Standard Bible, I like the word to use there. It says, he who wins souls is wise. I bet, I bet if you've been in the church very long, I bet you've heard the term soul winner. Have you ever heard that? Man, you heard someone say, man, that guy is a soul winner. That gal is a soul winner. You know, they didn't actually get that from the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible, I don't think. Anyway, I'm trying to think. It, does, does the phrase soul winner occur? But I think they got it from this verse. Whoever coined that phrase was probably reading this verse, and it says, you know, the, the fruit of, of the righteous is the tree of life, and whoever wins souls is wise, and that's what they're talking about. They're talking about a soul winner, someone who leads others to, to, to life in God, life in Christ. Now, what does it mean by, by their wise, okay? A couple, couple different ways you look at this, okay? Both are right, okay? First of all, they're wise in the sense that the person that wins souls they, they've developed some skills in leading people to Christ, right? They've, they've developed the ability to articulate the gospel, to, to, to talk about, talk about uh, the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord and the story of God. They've got skills in praying for people that don't know Jesus. They've got skills in, in living out a life that, that, that draws people to Christ. And so, so first of all, we, we would say, you know, when it says he who captures souls is wise, it means the person who, who captures souls is the person who has some wisdom about this, right? But second of all, it's a, I, I think you could also look at it as 
The one who captures souls, they're, they're gaining wisdom as well. That's, that's true as well. Both those things are true. So, so the one who, 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 who is capturing souls, who's winning souls, who's giving effort to, to soul winning, to dealing with, the, with people's lives and their sin and persevering through struggles and fighting in prayer, man, that person develops wisdom in the rest of their life as well, okay? Let, let, me, let me encourage you with that. A, the person who's a soul winner, man, they get wise in their marriage. They get wise in their, in their parenting. They get wise in, in their Christian life. Like, like bringing other people to Jesus actually has this residual blessing on your own life, okay? So he who captures souls is wise. Now, before we jump right into the middle of that, I don't want you to forget about the first part of this verse because it's really actually pretty important to the verse as a whole, okay? So the verse says at the first, the first phrase, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. We've seen this tree of life thing before, haven't we? Over and over in the book of Proverbs. And, and essentially what it's saying is God offers life, okay? God is life. Like that was, that was true in the Garden of Eden, and it's true today, okay? There is life in Jesus. Let, let me just tell you what Jesus said about himself, okay? John 1, 4, it says, In him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, and that you might have it abundantly. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In, in, in John eleven twenty five, I believe it is, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. It's really pretty clear what Jesus is saying, right? He's saying, you want to live, and I've got life right? That's what he's saying. Not, not just like stay alive, but he's talking live. John 10, 10 said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. Everybody on this planet is looking for that. They're looking, they're looking for life. They're looking for meaning, for purpose, for satisfaction, for, for thriving. They're looking for how do I flourish? How do, how, how, do I, how do I really live? Some people are looking for it in drugs or alcohol. Some people are looking for it in, in power or control. Some people are looking for it in prosperity or comfort. But everybody is looking. They're looking to really live. And Jesus says over and over, life is in me. And actually the book of Proverbs talks about life in, in, in a similar way. In Proverbs 14 Verse 27, it says this, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, right? How do you, how do you get to this life? Well, Proverbs 14, 27 says, it's the fear of the Lord. Man, coming to fear and honor and love and revere God, that's how you get to this life, okay? And so go back to our verse. So, so Proverbs eleven thirty says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Okay, let's break that down. What does fruit mean in the Bible? The fruit of, when it talks about the fruit of the righteous, the fruit of a person, we, we know what that means, right? If you've read your Bible very much, you, you, you've seen that a bunch, right? It means their life, like what comes out of their life. Uh, Gary and Carol, they've got an apple tree in their backyard. Man, that is a good producing apple tree. It used to be Winnie's. Man, I used to have to pick all them up uh, when, when, it was, when it was Winnie's. So that, that thing's a producer, right? So it's an apple tree, and, and we know it's an apple tree. Guess how? This is complicated. It produces apples, right? Like, like apples come off of the thing, like in bunches, okay? In bunches, right? And, and so when, when the Bible talks about your fruit, it's like, what's coming out of your life? 
What, what, what's, what is it producing? What is your life producing, okay? And, and, and notice what it says here. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And so what comes out of the life of a righteous person is a tree of life. It actually leads other people to life. Isn't that a cool thought? That, that when Jesus produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you and through you, like things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, whenever he produces a new transformed life out of you, isn't it cool that that actually can point other people to life? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. You see, you see, our life ought to be changed. It ought, it, it ought to be different because of Christ. And so Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matt, Matt, Jesus says there in Matthew, when people see what God is doing in you, they're, they're going to they're gonna be pointed to God. They're going to be pointed to life. And, and so basically, the first part of this verse is saying this. A person who's been changed by the gospel, and by the way, if you have not been changed by the gospel, if you're like, well, I believe the gospel, but nothing's really changed in my life, I don't think you actually believe the gospel, okay? Because the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that if you're in Christ, then you're going to put off the old man, you're going to put on the new man. You're going to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You're going to be changed in your character and your conduct, and you're going to continue to change. That's why we need that Bible study method next week, because the Bible says we ought to be continually transformed by the word of God. Okay? But the first part of this verse, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. What it's saying is, if you're a righteous person, then what's coming out of your life is going to point others to life. All right. Now let's, let's sandwich it together with the second part. Okay. So the first part is, whatever's coming out of your life, it's going to lead others to life. Okay. The second part is, and he who wins souls, he who captures souls is wise. All right. Now here's what I would tell you. Not only is it important for you to live a life, that points people to Jesus, okay? To live a life that's transformed, to live a life that people can see. Man, that guy loves Jesus. Man, that, that guy trusts Jesus. That guy listens to Jesus. That guy lives like Jesus, all right? That's gonna point people to Christ, but that's not enough. You ought to obey the second part of this verse, and you ought to be someone who seeks to win souls. You ought to be someone who seeks to capture souls, to lead them to life, all right? And you ought to do that with your words, okay? The, Book of Proverbs says as much as that. Proverbs 10, 11 says the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Proverbs 13, verse 14, uh, listen to this one. It says the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, right? So, so the Bible says, or Proverbs says, that the one who's righteous, what comes out of, his out of his mouth, his words, it leads people to life. It's a fountain of life. It is leading them to God. And so I want to ask you this question. Have you developed, have you developed, have you developed wisdom in your life so that you have skills to lead people to Jesus? Have you, have you taken the time in your Christian life, have you taken the time to develop what is wisdom? It's skills, right? Right? Have you taken the time in your Christian life to develop wisdom, to be wise, so that you have the skills to lead people to faith in Christ? Now, one of the big obstacles is going to be this. Is it worth it to you? Is it worth it? Is it a worthy pursuit for you to spend your time and effort developing skills to lead people to Christ? Some of you are shaking your head, yes, but none of us can answer that with our mouth. We just can't do it. We've got to answer it with our life. Because your life's going to tell you what you think is worthwhile. So you look at my life, 
And some of you are shaking your head. It makes no sense why a guy would devote three hours a week to riding a bicycle out in the pasture, right? Like, like you're, you're thinking, man, that doesn't make no sense. It's rough out there, you know? That now there's a bunch of cattle in there dropping bombs all over. Have you ever ridden through a cow, fresh cow patty at about 20 mile an hour? It's terrible, man. It, just, it goes everywhere, you know? I mean, it's, it's disastrous, right? But yet you look at my life and you say, hey, that guy cares enough about, about gaining skills on a mountain bike that he spends time every week on it. All right, so I want to ask you, what do you spend time every week on? This is not like a trick question, right? You, you, you have things in your life that you're like, this is important. Like, I, I want to develop skills in this. Some of you, you develop skills in hunting. Man, some of you, I bet, you'll spend an hour this week sighting in a rifle. Maybe, maybe you're like, an hour? Three hours, Pastor, you know? Man, I want to be able to shoot the hairs off a deer, you know? Uh, shoot a mosquito off a squirrel. Like, like I, I, I want to develop those skills, you know? Some of you, you're developing business skills. Man, you, you dream about business and you read books about business. Some of you are developing skills in ranching and cattle or golf or fishing, you know. Some of you develop skills in restoring classic cars or house flipping or lawn maintenance or home decor. This one's hard for me to stay. Makes me throw up a little bit, but Fortnite, you know. Some of you are like, yeah, man, I want to be a video gamer and I want to play this thing and get good and read about it and watch YouTube videos and and I want to develop skills. I mean, we're all living our life and then we're saying what we believe is important. So I'm asking you this question again. Is it important to you to develop skills in your life to be able to lead your grandchildren to Jesus, to be able to lead your parents to Jesus, to be able to lead your friend to Jesus? Are you developing skills in that area? Now, now, now don't, some of you, I'm, I'm trying to anticipate what you're going to say. You're going to say, oh, pastor, you're, what you're saying is this is hard and it's not for normal people. Like you, you've got you to be real skilled. You got to go to seminary. You got to go to Bible college. No, I'm not saying that at all. I would say this, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, if, if you're truly joined to him, you ought to be able to lead somebody else to Christ, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you, ought to, you ought to be able to at least tell them, well, here's how I got there, right? You ought to be able to tell them your testimony. If nothing else, well, here's how I got to Jesus. Here's how I put my faith in him. Here's what he's done in my life. You ought to be able to do that. Like, Asher, my little five-year-old, he can catch a fish. Okay? He has done it before. He can, he can watch that bobber. A lot of times he's got to have me remind him because he's squirreling all over you. Dude, your bobber is down. And he, he's reeled them in before. Okay? But he's no Jimmy Houston. Okay? He is, he's got serious line tangling problems. Okay? The other day we were practicing in the yard with his little pole, put a little weight on the end of it. I have no idea. I looked over, and the thing is in five pieces. Like I mean, like all over the lawn, you know. I have no idea how you could cast, you know, nothing around him. And he's like, you know, he's got, he needs some skills, okay? Some of you may be in the same boat. Like, you, you, you've, you're saved. You've got a testimony, okay? But you really need to develop some skills in being able to lead people to Jesus. And, and, and I hope you think it's worth it. I mean, I, I hope you're like, you know what, Pastor? That is worth it. Me being able to lead somebody to Christ, that's worth it. So what kind of skills are we talking about here? Well, first of all, we need to be able to articulate the gospel, okay? Now, now I have this experience every week, okay? I've been here 22 years, and there has hardly ever been a time when this did not happen 
Sometimes if you do things dramatically, people think it's important, okay? Um, this, this has not happened, okay? So it, I'm in my office, and I'm talking to somebody, and uh, I have talked to people who have been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I've talked to some people who, who grew up in faith families. They, they, all, their whole life, they've been in church. Their whole life, they've been in Sunday school. They've been in good churches and good Sunday schools. And I asked them this question, what is the gospel? And they cannot answer that question. I ask them, well, how would you lead somebody else to faith in Jesus? And they can't answer that question. Now, that doesn't mean they're not saved, actually. I mean, they, they may still have a testimony. Like, I, this is what I did. Like, I put my, but, you know, I just don't know how to tell somebody else. Man, I, I want to put this on you. If you can't do that, you need to develop that skill. Instead of sighting in the rifle for three hours this week, let's just, let's just sight it in once. Let's just be able to kill something and not, like, shoot the hair off of it, okay? And let's spend another couple hours actually developing the skill of articulating the gospel. Now, how, how, what does that mean, articulate the gospel? Man, you could do it in a hundred different ways, could you not, right? Lots of different ways. Let me tell you how I like to do it, okay? I, I, I bet I do this in my office three, four, five times a week, okay? And, and I do various versions, 30 seconds already to maybe like uh, two-hour versions, okay? I usually start with God. What a great place to start, right? So God created heavens and the earth. He created you. He created you and he loved you. But sin has separated you from God. You see, you're down here, and sin has separated you from God. And I could talk about like Romans 3.23 that says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, or Romans 6.23 that says the wages of sin is death, right? But here's the deal. You are separated from God, and you can't get to him. No matter how hard you try, you cannot get to God. You know, because you're, you, you don't even love God. You don't want God. There's something broken inside of you that's going to keep you from God, right? That's called sin, all right? But here's what God did. God loved us. A lot of times, all right, loved up here. God loved us. And you know how he loved us? He loved us by sending Jesus Christ, his only son, to live the, and then on one side of the cross, all right, perfect life. Okay, he sent Jesus to live a perfect life. Jesus never sinned. Jesus was not like me. Okay, he he was not like me. He never transgressed God's commands. He he, he never blew it. He he didn't he didn't love the wrong things. He loved God more than all. He glorified God in everything he did. He lived the perfect life, and then he died a substitutionary death. Right? I'm going to abbreviate that. Right? Substitutionary is hard to spell. Okay. Substitutionary death. What does that mean? Well, you've all been in school. You, you know what that is. Whenever your teacher leaves to go do something else and they bring in another teacher, what does that teacher call? She's called your substitute, right? What does that mean? That means she took your teacher's place, all right? So Jesus, in his death, took your place, all right? Now, here's, here's the big question. How do we get to him? Okay, so I usually draw another guy down here. Okay, and, and this guy, I'm like, how's he going to get to this? Well, the Bible says he's going to get to it this way. He's going to get to it through repentance and faith. Those are really important words. Repent means you're, you're done sinning. Man, you're, you're, you change your mind about sin. You've changed your mind about God. You don't want to live in it anymore. You don't want to live as his enemy. You want him. You're turning away from trusting in yourself, trusting in your good works. You don't want it. Okay, that's repent. I don't want that anymore. Faith is, Jesus, I want you, and I trust you. 
I believe. I believe everything the Bible says about you. I believe that you lived the perfect life. I believe that you died a substitutionary death. And I want you. I want to follow you. I trust you. Now, here's the, my favorite part, okay? My favorite part of this little gospel presentation is I draw a line from this guy right here. This is me. Whenever I get connected to Jesus' life and death, then all of a sudden, all of my sin, all my filth, all my wickedness, okay, it gets placed on the cross, all of my sin gets put on Jesus, and all of his perfect life, all of that gets put in my account. We call that his righteousness. And now all of Jesus' righteousness gets put inside of me, and now I am right in Christ. My friends, that's the gospel, okay? Now, now there's a lot of things we didn't talk about. Thank you, Drew. We didn't talk about heaven. We didn't talk about forgiveness. We didn't talk about, you know, there's lots of things. I, I, I'm just saying there's a hundred different ways to do that, right? But you need to be able to do some version of that. Now, you can use the, the bridge illustration. You could use the one-verse illustration. You could, you know, I don't care how you do it, but you need to be able to talk about Jesus' life and his death and the cross and the resurrection and glory. You need to be able to talk to people about who he is and how they can be righteous. Otherwise, you know what you're left with? You're left with people that think, well, I'm just going to try to be a good person. That is the most common theology in Woodward, Oklahoma. We live in the Bible Belt. We live in a place where there are more churches than probably any other place in the world, and yet the most common theology in Woodward, Oklahoma, is how do you get to heaven? Try to be a good person. Believe in Jesus. I, I've changed the way that I ask a question on our benevolence form. I, the question used to be, who is Jesus to you? You know what 98% of the people say who come in? He's my Lord and Savior. Now, when I ask another question, and I say, well, how does a person get to Jesus? See, Lord and Savior is actually the right answer. But it's just not true for them. Because when I ask, well, how do you get to Jesus? Well, try to be good. Try to, try to treat people fairly. Man, you'll never get to Jesus that way. You can't do it. You got to come by faith. You got to come by repentance. My friends, we need to be able to tell people how to get to Jesus. We need to be able to talk about faith and repentance and imputed righteousness. You'll notice I didn't use that. But when I drew that line from Jesus' perfect life to me and said his righteousness comes inside of me, that's imputed righteousness. That's what Paul calls imputed righteousness. We need people to understand, man, you're not righteous on your own. You can't be. We got, we got to be able to talk about the gospel. We got to be able to tell God's story. That's going to be one of the projects for this semester, by the way. Can you tell God's story? Where's our little, where's our God's story poster? It's gone, you know? Um, can you, you think I can't do it without the poster, don't you? Huh? Watch this, watch this, right? You need to be able to talk about creation and fall and flood and promises and exodus and kings and prophets and incarnation and kingdom and cross and resurrection and church and second coming. You need to be able to talk about it. This is the story of the Bible. Now, I'm not just saying recite something, but you need to be able to talk about how, how God created the world and, and how, how he promised Abraham that, man, through you, through your family, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed and how the Messiah, Jesus, came through Abraham's family, who was the Israelites. And you need to be able to talk about the exodus and talk about the law and talk about talk about all those things pointing them to jesus and you need to be able to learn the skill of of, of conversations with people that lead to the cross and the resurrection you see here's where where wisdom really comes into in into play like like i it, it's easy to do what i just did right 
well, maybe not easy, but it's, it's you know, that, that's one thing. To, you all are listening like this, or maybe you might be sleeping or thinking about something else, I don't know. But, you know, you look like you're listening, and I just get to talk, right? But what about when, when it's conversation? What about when it's in the truck, you know, and, and, and you're at work, or you're going out to a well site, and someone's, you know, talking about their, their broken marriage or their, their rebellious teenager? Then how do you get from that conversation to the resurrection. You see, that's wisdom, right? Like, we need skills with that. Like, we need to practice that. We need to think through that. We need to, to pray through that. We need to be able to do that. Man, Paul was a master at that. Let me give you one example of, of how, how Paul was so good at getting from wherever he's at with people to the gospel, okay? Acts 17. Here's a great example of, of Paul. Paul is essentially sort of on vacation here, okay? He's in Athens, and there's nobody else with him. He's waiting on the other guys to, to, to meet them. But he's in Athens, and he's just roaming around the streets. And he's walking through probably like a tourist section of Athens. It's got all the statues of all the gods of the Areopagus. And, and here's what Paul says in 1722. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, and I found also an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. All right? So, so Paul's walking along, kind of picture of him being, let's say, in Washington, D.C. He's at the Lincoln Memorial, you know, and he's like, hey, guys, hey. <laughs> Imagine doing that. Hey, everybody, I, I got a question for you. Did you all see that statue over there? It says to the unknown God. Basically, what, what the people in Athens had done was they were like, we might have missed a God, you know. We got Zeus and Hermes and Apollo, you know. They had all the guys were like, we might have missed one, so let's build, a, let's build a monument to the one we missed, okay. And Paul's like, you know, hey, that's a really interesting one to the unknown God. I happen to know who that is. I know who you missed, right? And, and, he, and he moves right into the gospel. He's like, you know, I, I, I'm going to tell you about the unknown God that you don't know. This is the God who made the heaven and the earth and, and everything. He doesn't live in temples. And he goes on and on and on. And then he finishes his sermon way in verse 30. Okay, and we're going to read the end of it. He says, the times of ignorance got overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. See what Paul's doing? He's bringing them to the end, right? You got to repent. How do you get connected to this God that you don't even know about? You got to repent. And then the next verse, verse 31 says, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. There's going to be judgment in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul went from a tourist statue to the resurrection. And friends, we need to have wisdom Skill in being able to go from climate control to the resurrection. You had to be able to do that. You know, someone's talking about wind farms and solar chargers and bunkers and I don't know, whatever else. And you need to be able to be like, hey, let me lead you to life here. Right? We need to be able to talk about the promises of God, to talk about the character of Christ. We need to be able to, to learn to hear the voice of God. Man, some, something that I'm excited about this semester uh, when we start looking at, um, at, at Zume, the, the disciple-making program, is it talks about how to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said in, in John 10, 27, he said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Do you got skill in hearing God's voice? You, you should, right? Like we should develop that. We should learn to to hear the prompting, the, 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 the little nudges of the Holy Spirit. So we need to develop skills in winning people to Christ. Why? Because he who captures souls is wise. Now, what I'm, what I'm really afraid of, though, is that we need more than skills. We actually need to care 
This is sad to say, but I, I think we actually need to care more that people are dying and going to hell. I think we need to care about that. I think, I think sometimes that what keeps us from being soul winners is not that we don't have skills. Sometimes what keeps us from being soul winners is that we actually don't care at a very high level about people dying and going to hell. Let me read you another proverb, Proverbs chapter 24. And I'm going to read verse 10 and 11. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Then listen to this, my friends. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Man, that's a verse that I memorized a couple years ago. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. He's saying rescue them. He's saying that there are people who, who are being dragged by their sin to an eternal death. There are people who are stumbling through life right into the slaughter of the wrath of God. And he's saying, hold them back. Rescue them. Rescue them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I think in order to do that, we've got to be convinced that people are being dragged to death. We've got to be convinced the people are actually stumbling to the slaughter. Who are these people? Well, they're anybody without Christ. They're anybody without the evidence of the Holy Spirit upon them. Okay? The Bible said, remember when Jesus said this? He said, you'll know them by their fruits, right? So you'll be able to look at somebody, if you know them long enough, and you'll be able to see, does this person believe? Do they believe Jesus? Are they, are they listening? Are they obeying? Are they trusting him? Is he the best thing ever to them? Is he the treasure worth giving everything for? Or do we look at people and say, well, they're, well, no, but they're a good person. I'm telling you guys, I've been trying for 22 years to figure out what that means, and I do not know what it means. I just know this. There's not a different version of Christianity, okay? The, the only version of Christianity in the Bible is that God... God saves a man, he saves a woman, he saves a student, and he transforms them. He puts, he puts faith inside them. They begin to trust him. They begin to repent of their sins. They begin to immerse themselves in the scripture, and they begin to be transformed. They begin to become a different person in Christ. And so who are these folks? Well, they're, they're all around us. They're our children. Or if they're not our children, they're somebody's children. They're our parents. If they're not our parents, they're somebody's parents. They're, they're our mother, our brother, our sister. If they're not our mother, brother, and sister, they're somebody's mother, brother, and sister. They're our neighbor, our coach, your player, your coworker, your customer, your boss, your car harp, your waitress, your mechanic, your niece, your student, your granddaughter. They're the orphan, the foster kid, the unsupervised neighbor kid, the drug addicted, the homeless, the shut-in. And they're being dragged to hell by their sin, and they are stumbling into the wrath of God the Almighty. And I want to know what happens in your heart when you see that. When you can see in their life. I know we can't see anybody's soul. I don't claim to. You shouldn't claim to. But man, we sure can look at someone's life and say, man, they don't treasure Jesus. He is not important to them. He's not their king. They don't love him. They don't tremble at his word. Again, the response of most Oklahomans, yeah, but they're, they're good people. That should be on our license plate. Why is that not on Oklahoma's license plate? They're good people. Because they are. Sure. God is a just God, my friends. 
and he will punish sin. He either punishes it in his son or he punishes it for those who reject his son and them forever in hell. You're like, well, I know, I know, Pastor. He's going to punish them horrible, wicked folks, right? Hitler and Stalin, yep, I agree. He's going to punish horrible wickedness because he's a just God. He's a righteous God. We want him to be that, don't we? I think we do. We want him to be righteous and just, and because he is, he's going to punish sin. Well, he's going to punish horrible wickedness, yes, okay. But what, what about just bad wickedness? He gonna, is he going to punish that, you know? Like, what, what about child molesters, right? Oh, yeah, uh-huh. Well, he's going to punish horrible wickedness and bad wickedness. What, what about, what about, uh, what about uh, moderate wickedness? What about murderers and rapists? Yep, yep, we're all in agreement. Well, what about maybe he's going to punish horrible wickedness and he's going to punish terrible wickedness and bad wickedness? And Well, what about moderate wickedness? You know, thieves and betrayers and adulterers. Yeah, yeah, he's going to punish them too. Well, whoa, whoa, hold on. Now it's getting a little nerve-wracking. Well, if he's going to punish horrible wickedness and terrible wickedness and bad wickedness, and mo- what about just general wickedness? What about like deceivers and liars and cheaters? Well, actually, the Bible's really clear about that in Revelation that God, God is going to punish all liars. And, and how far down do we usually go, guys? How far down do we go? You know how far down we go? Most people go one step above themselves, right? Like God's going to punish you know, all these people, but just not me. The Bible doesn't support that at all. Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. It says this. From his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Matthew 25, 46, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. God is just. God is holy. God will punish sin. And folks, we know these things. The world does not know these, but I I make the argument that you do. You know them. And and listen to what Proverbs 24 says. It says in verse 11, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. And then the next verse says, If you say, Behold, we did not know this. Yeah, he did. Let me read the rest of the verse. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And he will repay man according to his work. And so, my friends, if you know it, if you know the wrath of God is going to be poured out on those who do not love and cherish Jesus, and if you know that the gospel can save their souls, then my question to you is, are you content for them to be without Christ? My friends, we should use wisdom. We should use wisdom. We should cultivate wisdom in capturing souls. And we should not wait you know, many times, you know what we do? We, 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 do this, we do this terrible thing. A lot of times, we don't really consider the condition of somebody's soul until they die. I, that, I, I've seen that over and over again. Listen, it, it actually should be the opposite, okay? Here's what I believe. Whenever somebody passes from this life, it is no longer mine to think about even. Like, it belongs to the Lord. Like, they're in his hands. 
There is no about, amount of fretting or being concerned or travailing or prayers or, 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 or gospel conference. There's nothing in this world I can do about that. I've got I've to believe what the Bible says and I've got to entrust them to the Lord. I've got to hope in the grace of God. But while they're here, while, while they're alive, while they're in the cubicle next to you in your workplace, while they're in the softball fields and the bleachers, while they're mowing their lawn in your, in your neighborhood, while they're in your house, while they're eating at your table, while they're under your roof, while you're tucking them into bed at night, while they're in recreation on Wednesday night in the teen kid room, should you not be concerned? You should. Should you not be troubled by lostness? You should. Should you not be distressed by unbelief? You should. Should you not be distraught over wickedness? You absolutely should. Paul says in Romans 9 too, listen, listen to what he felt about, about his friends and brothers. He says, I have great sorrow. This is Romans 9 too. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. You should care about people that are, Proverbs 24 says, stumbling into the slaughter. And caring means you should do something about it. About 90% of my made-up illustrations are about the Grand Canyon. And I don't know why. I just thought I'd point it out because you're probably pointing it out. and I just want you to know I know they are. I, I just like the Grand Canyon. Let's say that you're at the Grand Canyon, and you're at South Rim. You're at that little, uh, that little uh, uh, gift shop, ice cream shop right there at the South Rim, and, and you're up ordering ice cream for all your family, and, and your 10-year-old tugs on your, on your leg and says, you know, make sure you get mine with M&Ms, and you look down and you say, where's the baby? And the the 10-year-old says, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I thought it was with you. And you look around real quick. You turn around. And the lady's asking you to pay for your ice cream. But you turn around and you look and somehow your 2-year-old has crawled over that little wall, that little retaining wall. And they've toddled out on this little precipice, 1,000 feet down on both sides. And they're chasing a butterfly. They're in peril. What do you do? Pay for your ice cream, right? Get, get your ice cream. Is that, you're concerned, but, you know, we got ice cream to deal with here. No, I don't, I don't think you do. You run after them. Ah, there's 30 Japanese tourists lined up against that wall taking selfies. What do you do now? You wait for them to get done? I know some of you moms, you'd push them right off the cliff to get to your baby. There's a, there's a foot-wide little, little bridge-type thing that leads out to that precipice where your baby is. thousand-foot fall on either side. Do you risk it? Some of you are scared of heights. You won't even go up on the Ferris wheel at the fair. I'm I'm gambling. I bet you'd run out there. I bet, I bet you'd do something about it. What will you? Will you spend some time this week praying for your little ones? Developing skills to be able to share the gospel in a winsome way? What about what if it's your friend? All right, here's a made-up illustration that's not at the Grand Canyon, okay? 
let's say you're up at the hospital, you're visiting a member of your small group, and there's been several of you in your group, all friends up there visiting them. They had surgery or something, and you walk by those big windows. You're getting ready to go home. It's nighttime. It's after work. Everybody's kind of getting done. And you, you walk by those big windows, the, by the way, by the elevator, and you look out there, and you see the most horrific thing you've ever seen. You saw a lady at her car and a man in a black mask with a knife, and he kills this lady right there in the hospital parking lot. It just takes your breath. It's the worst thing you ever saw in your life. Well, about that time, your friend, who was just visiting the same person you were, comes out of them cafeteria doors. They're talking on. They're always talking on their phone. They're talking on their phone, and they're headed right for their car, which is next to where that man is. You see that man duck down behind it, and he starts to inch around the car toward him. What do you do? You just watch the thing unfold? Not your business? Nothing really you can do? I don't know. I, I kind of think, think you'd pound on them windows. I kind of think you'd scream. I kind of think you'd... Some of you'd probably throw a chair at the window. I bet. I don't know if you could break it or not. I don't know if they break that easy. But... I, I just bet you'd do something. So, Proverbs 24 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. I was reading a really interesting article this week. It was about this, um, this couple and they both came to Jesus Christ. They came to faith in Christ in a Muslim country. 99% Muslim. And, and it talked about for years, they would, they would kiss each other goodbye in the morning as they both went to work. And, and they would say to each other, I, I know this may be the last time. I, I know that I may never see you again. You know, let's hold each other tight. Because they were both soul winners. They both had come to faith in Jesus and they were, they were so convinced that their nation was stumbling to the slaughter that every day they would seek to win somebody to Christ, even at the cost of their life. Well, as the story goes, this, this couple had the opportunity to come to the United States. Like something opened up with his job or her job and, and they actually got visas and they actually moved their family to the United States. And they were so happy that they had that opportunity and so happy to come to a country where they could just share the gospel freely, you know, with anybody, everybody, anywhere. After they'd been there a couple years, I'll, let me read it because I don't, I don't want to misquote her. This, this, is what, this is what this gal said to her husband. She said, honey, let's move back. She goes, there is, there is a satanic lullaby playing here. And the Christians are asleep, and it's happening to me. I don't know if she's right or not, but I think she's right that there are a lot of believers in America who are asleep. They know the truths of the gospel. They've been delivered, but they're not sharing it with anybody. Let me read you. read you my favorite Charles Spurgeon quote. I've read it before here. You've probably heard it from me numerous times. Ed's got it from me before he, last time I read it, I remember he said, hey, I want that. Here it is, and I'll pray. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. 
If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, then let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Father, we ask, God, that you would give us a passion. Give us a, a deep and abiding desire to see people come to Christ. To see people find life. To see them find hope and joy and peace in the Savior. God, I pray, Father, that you would keep us from being asleep. God, keep us from being ineffective. God, keep us from being unconcerned about the souls of those around us. God, give us wisdom. God, give us wisdom in, in sharing the beauty of the gospel. God, give us words to speak of the, the awesome things that your son has done. And God, I pray that we might lead people to life. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.